The scripture reading is from John chapter 10. We've been on that passage for a couple of weeks, and Pete and I have preached a sermon each on Christ as the Good Shepherd. And Mark is somehow lagging behind us. He decides he needs more time in this text, so he has assigned it to us one more time. What I'm going to do uh, this morning is is go back and read uh, from the Good Shepherd passage there in John 10 a few of the key phrases. Each and every one of these are from the words of Jesus himself, and then we'll join the portion of the passage you have there in front of you. So mainly just listen to the word of God. Jesus speaking, he says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. And I lay down my life for the sheep. I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father, who has given them to me, is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. I and the Father are one. The word of the Lord. You may be seated. Ancient Israel had the shepherd as the leadership model for God's people from the very beginning. Abraham was a shepherd. Moses was a shepherd. David, who consolidated all the tribes into a single powerful kingdom, David was a shepherd. He was seen as the ideal shepherd, the model shepherd, the perfect shepherd. And that word is translated the good shepherd in the New Testament. And Jesus himself is claiming in one more of his many I am sayings that he is that shepherd, that ideal, longed for sought after shepherd. There is a background to this particular passage and I think it would be worth our while this morning to take as close a look at it as we can in the time that we have. And that background comes from the Old Testament prophecy of Ezekiel. I'm going to be looking at Ezekiel chapter 34. God shepherded his people all through the Old Testament period of Israel's national life by three officers. There was the prophet, there was the priest, 
And there was the prince. That's how God ruled his people. Through the prophet that brought the word of God. And it must be a faithful and a true word of God. The priest who led them into the presence of God. And the prince who led them in the pathways of God. It was a sad moment in Israel when after several hundred years of existence, the kingdoms, the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom, sunk into such sin and depravity and corruption that God had to discipline his people severely. In fact, God had to keep his covenant with the people. He had told them, if you forsake me, if you turn your back on me, if you do not walk in my statutes, if you do not follow my commandments, if you do not evoke my presence, I will cut you off from the land. I will take you away from the land, the land in which I have brought you by the hand of Moses and Joshua and planted you as a vine in this wonderful land of milk and honey. But God said, as wonderful as this land is and as great as the promises are, I will eradicate it if you're unfaithful to me. God's people, God's people, Israel, forsook the Lord and brought about such abominations that you cannot imagine. Every abomination in ancient Israel, came to the fore in the days of the corrupt kings of the northern kingdom, King Ahab and others, and then the kingdom of the south as well. And eventually there came a time, a moment, when God kept his word, his word of curse, his word of wrath, his word of punishment upon the people. God keeps his word. He keeps his word of salvation. He says, I will save and he will surely and infallibly save. God says, I will destroy the nations that forget God or cast into hell. And God keeps that word too. And there came a moment in Israel's history when God had to punish them and he led them or sent them off into captivity and of all the places, Babylon. And God sent a prophet who was a priest as well with them off into captivity to chronicle this experience. And this was the prophet Ezekiel. It was his sad mission to go with the captives to Babylon and to be there with them in their captivity and to observe in his rearview mirror the burning city of Jerusalem. And then to be with his people at the Kibar River in their despair and in their punishment for the sins and abominations they had committed. And God brought a prophecy to Ezekiel, and here it is. In summary, it is the complete failure of the shepherds. The prophets had brought lying words, not truthful words. The priest had brought abominations into the temple and upon the altar. And the prince 
had taken bribes and was corrupt. And he turned his back upon the Lord and had sought treaties with pagan nations and had compromised completely everything that Israel stood for in its uniqueness and in its holiness was compromised by the leadership of Israel. So here's what the Lord says. The word of the Lord came to me, son of man, that's Ezekiel, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to them, even to the shepherds, thus saith the Lord, all shepherds of Israel who've been feeding yourselves, should not shepherds feed the sheep? You eat the fat, you clothe yourselves with the wool, you slaughter the fat ones, but you do not feed the sheep. The weak you have not strengthened. The sick you have not healed. The injured you have not bound up. The strayed you have not brought back. The lost you have not sought. And with force and harshness you have ruled them so that they are scattered because there was no shepherd. My sheep were scattered. They wandered all over the mountains. My sheep were scattered over all the face of the earth with none to search or seek for them. My sheep have become a prey. Therefore, you shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God, Behold, I am against the shepherds, and I will require my sheep at their hand and put a stop to their feeding the sheep. You hear the word of the Lord? It goes without a lot of commentary, doesn't it? He has a litany of accusations of failures on the part of the shepherds. And it's not just that the shepherds have failed to do certain things, but it is that they have done aggressively the wrong things. They have failed to feed and to care for and to seek and to bind and to fold and to protect God's sheep. But then they have, on the other hand, they have abused them. They have exploited them. They have scattered them. They have fleeced them and eaten them. What do you think God's solution is? What, what's he going to do? How's he going to correct it? What, is he going to throw those shepherds out and bring in some more shepherds? Is he going to just give up entirely on the whole flock and start over? What, what's the Lord going to do? Here is the solution. Here's the solution. The Lord says, I will rescue my sheep. Think about that. Think about that. The Lord himself says, I'm going to take it upon myself. The Lord God Almighty says, it's going to be my personal activity, my personal obligation, my personal mission to save my flock. So listen to how he spells it out. For thus says the Lord God, Behold, I myself will search for my sheep and will seek them out. The Lord's not going to contract the labor anymore. He's not going to outsource it. He's going to do it himself personally. And as I read through this little uh, passage here of just a few sentences of what the Lord says he's going to do, I want you to think with me as the psalmist thought in the 23rd Psalm. 
The Lord is my shepherd. That's the whole point. The Lord becomes the personal shepherd to each of his sheep. There's a sense in which you don't need the prophets. He's the word of God in his own person. He doesn't need the priests. He is the atonement and the sacrifice. He's the Lamb of God in his own person. And he don't need the princes. He don't need the kings to be shepherds because he is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. So listen to the way the Lord spells it out. I myself will search for my sheep and will seek them out. As a shepherd seeks out his flock when he is among his sheep that have been scattered, so will I seek out my sheep. I will rescue them from all the places where they've been scattered on a day of clouds and thick darkness, and I will bring them out from the peoples and gather them from the countries, and I will bring them into their own land. I will feed them on the mountains, by the ravines, and in the inhabited places. I will feed them with good pasture, and on the mountain heights of Israel shall be their grazing land. There they shall lie down in good grazing land, and on rich pasture they shall feed on the mountains of Israel. I myself will be the shepherd of my sheep. I myself will make them lie down, declares the Lord. I will seek the lost. I will bring back the strayed. I will bind up the injured, and I will strengthen the weak. I will feed them in justice. As for you, my flock, thus says the Lord. Therefore says the Lord God to them, Behold, I myself will rescue my flock. They shall no longer be a prey. I will judge between sheep and sheep. Then look at verse 23 of that passage in Ezekiel. I will set up over them one shepherd, my servant David, and he shall feed them. He shall feed them and be their shepherd. And I, the Lord, will be their God, and my servant David shall be prince among them. I am the Lord. I have spoken. That's the promise of God, to shepherd his own sheep personally. On the mouth of Ezekiel. That's God's promise. And it's fulfilled in Jesus Christ. And he says so in John 10. I am that shepherd. I am that good shepherd. Now let's think for just a moment of what that might mean to us individually. He says he will seek us. Did you know until you came to the Lord you were lost? You may not have felt lost. You may not have seemed like you were lost. You might have thought within yourself that you were perfectly aware of where you were. But you were lost to God. Because you were walking in your own paths. You were going your own way. You were seeking your own. You were lost. And it was the shepherd, Jesus himself, who by his spirit spoke to your heart, convinced you 
using whatever outward circumstances may have been there, spoke to your heart and convinced you, made you aware that you were lost. The Lord says He sought you, He found you, and He brought you to Himself. Did you know you were broken? You might not have felt broken. You might, not, you might have felt like completely whole. You may have felt like life was going well. You may have been self-satisfied in so many ways. But as far as the Lord was concerned, you were broken. There was a brokenness in your humanity that made you unfit for a new heaven and a new earth. For eternity that made you bound to this earth, incorporated in this mass of humanity, you were broken. It was the Lord Himself that came to you in your brokenness and bound up your wounds and healed you as the potter would mend the broken vase, so the Lord mended our souls. He brought in the balm of Gilead. He brought in the cleansing purgatory of the blood of Christ, the purging blood, and washed away all your sins and all your iniquities. And He healed and restored your soul. He's your personal shepherd. He brought you to himself. He brought you into a fold. As he describes it in the passage, he brought you into the palm of his hand. Seized upon you with a grip. And claims that the father's hand is a grip over his hand. There you are safe and secure. He feeds you. Well, you listen to preachers. You listen to teachers. You try to find pasture where you can. You come to church. You go to Sunday school. You go to Bible class. But if you learn anything, if you're nourished at all, it's the Lord himself who prepared that table before you. He's the one that opened your eyes to see. He's the one that gave you the hunger and the thirst for righteousness that caused you to want to feed your soul upon the fatness and the richness of His Word. He's the one that saved you, that rescued you, that reached out. That's why he says, my sheep hear my voice. I know them. They follow me. Jesus is keeping the great promise of Ezekiel to be the shepherd of his people. Human shepherds will fail you. You'll know Christians who won't uphold a godly lifestyle. You'll hear preachers that won't preach the orthodox truth 
and feed you on the deep and rich things of the Word of God. You'll be part of classes and organizations and associations that will deviate, that will find in them some excuse to accommodate perversion of some sort. But Jesus will never fail you. He will never let you down. He will never leave you. He will never forsake you. He will never abandon you. He will never leave you to your own devices. He will bring you back. You may stray. You may find some comfort in the rod of correction and the staff of direction. But it's your shepherd plying those tools to your soul to lovingly bring you back to himself. It isn't that you persevere by your own gumption mainstay and awkwardness. It is that your shepherd is your personal shepherd and he holds you in his arms. He secures you in his grip. Let me read one of the saddest passages anywhere in the Bible. It's in the prophecy of Zechariah. Zechariah was a prophet that prophesied after God's people had come back from Babylon, had been reestablished in the land, the temple was rebuilt, the walls were rebuilt, the city was rebuilt, and there was an institution of some measure of, uh, of good Levitical government in Israel. And Zechariah was one of the prophets. And listen to what the prophet Zechariah says in a hymn. Most of his prophecy is prose. This is poetry. It's a hymn. I don't know if we have any tune to put to this hymn, but listen to the hymn. It's a personification of a sword. Listen to the hymn of Zechariah. Awake, O sword, against my shepherd, against the man who stands next to me, declares the Lord of hosts. Strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. I will turn my hand against the little ones. In the whole land, declares the Lord, two-thirds shall be cut off and perish and one-third shall be left alive. And I will put this third into the fire and refine them as one refined silver and test them as gold is tested. They will call upon my name and I will answer them. I will say they are my people and they will say the Lord is my God. Did you get that? It's a hymn that calls for the striking of the shepherd. This is a direct prophecy of the crucifixion of the Lord. The very implement that pierced his side and outflowed blood and water. The cleansing fountain that was opened in Jerusalem for the cleansing of God's people. It said, strike the shepherd. It said, the man who stands next to me That's the Lord speaking. The man at his right hand, that's Jesus Christ. And in his earthly ministry, he came to do exactly what he said in our John passage, to lay down my life for the sheep. And notice what he says. He says, I will turn my hand against the little ones in the whole land. Two-thirds shall be cut off and perish, and one-third shall be left alive. 
That's a very poetic way of saying not all will be rescued. Two-thirds, a majority, will perish. One-third will be saved, will be left alive. That's the remnant theme that you see all through the Bible. God does not save every single solitary soul. He saves a remnant. He saves a portion. He saves his two-thirds perish. Your neighbors, some of your relatives and friends may be among those who perish. But he saves the one-third, the remnant, his people. The smaller number, but the number that becomes a host that no man can number. But notice what he says about the third. He says, I save the third, but not to a life of Bliss and an easy life and a life free from all troubles. Notice what he does to the one-third. Very next line of the, of the, the hymn. I will put this third into the fire. Isn't it wonderful to be part of the rescued, the redeemed, the remnant, the one-third? But what happens to you? You're put into the fire. How much, many times do we bemoan, oh, I'm a Christian, I love the Lord, I serve the Lord. Why is all this bad stuff happening to me? It's because that's what the Lord does. He takes the people that he has rescued, he has saved, that he has restored, and he puts them into the fire. Not to punish them. This is not the punishment of the Lord. All of our punishment and our chastisement and our penalty has been laid on him. He has paid the penalty and served the sentence. But it's for a different purpose. I will refine them as one refines silver. You're in the fire because God is lovingly burning out the dross. He's getting rid of the impurity. He's getting rid of the filth and the abomination. He's getting rid of that stuff that contaminates and condemns you. He's taken you as his own and he's put you in the fire to refine you. When Christians endure persecution and suffering, it's not punishment. No, the loving shepherd is not doing that. He is refining you. He says, I will refine them as one refined silver and test them as gold is tested. He's making out of you a broken vessel an instrument of pure gold. And he's got to get rid of every alloy, every impurity, and everything in your life that compromises the perfection of pure gold. If I had time, which I don't, I'd go back and show you the Old Testament sacrificial system, how everything is overlaid with gold. The altar, the table, everything overlaid with gold. That's what God wants to do to his people is make them so holy that they are overlaid with gold. Listen to what it says they will do. They will call upon my name. And and calling on the name of the Lord is an expression, one of the first expressions in the Bible that's used for the word for prayer. It says in the days following uh, the, the creation, as they begin to multiply, it says men begin to call upon the name of the Lord. There was the reinstitution of the worship of the one true God 
Calling upon the Lord means to call upon Him not only for salvation, but to call upon Him for daily needs and to call upon Him in worship. Calling upon the Lord is to live the godly lifestyle that the pure gold represents. And I will answer them. The Lord had promised a half a generation earlier to the prophet Jeremiah said, tell the people, call unto me and I will answer thee and show thee great and mighty things which you do not know. That's what the Lord wants His people to do is to call upon Him. That's why the essence of our worship is prayer. It's calling upon the Lord. And then notice here, it says, they will, I will say they are my people and they will say the Lord is my God. That is the covenant formula. Everything that God is doing, He's doing in order that He can secure for Himself a people, a remnant. People who will not do anything other than call Him their God. And if He has righteous standards, they will uphold those righteous standards in the midst of a culture and a nation that is forsaking those standards every day of the week. His standards in terms of personal integrity, honesty in business, truthfulness in living, marriage and sexual morality in the face of a crumbling culture, clarity in the face of all the, co- the confusion. And that will humbly and stoutly Say, I don't know what God you're following, but there is a God. He is my God. He is my shepherd. I live my life in His presence. I call upon Him. And if you see me suffering, it's not because I'm being punished. It's because He is refining me and He has me in the fire. When I'm in the fire, I'm in pain. When I'm in the fire, I want out of the fire. When I'm in the fire, I'm squirming. When I'm in the fire, I'm desperate. When I'm in the fire, I don't look all that smooth and good. But I know where I am. I am in the fire. And he, just like in the days of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, he's in the fire right alongside of you. He is that fourth man in the fire.